1: Kids, pets, and other wildlife sounds from invading our respective bunkers. Hi, Rick Wilson.
2: Good afternoon, Molly Jong-Fast.
1: Tell me what the fuck is going on. Let's go.
2: The world is spinning on an axis for which we have previously anticipated, and the beginning of the post-electoral fuckery is on
1: so we hear that bill barr has been cited
2: bill barr has been cited going into the senate majority leader's office which is also typically considered an omen of the apocalypse you know if there was a rain of blood or ravens carrying the bones of children in their mouths spelling out words as they dropped them into the saint peter's square you know any number of other things uh, esoteric omens would be quite remarkable
1: What kind of fuckery is happening now? I'm not sure, but
2: I suspect he may be trying to softly inform Mitch McConnell that uh, Donald Trump is going to fight to the death.
1: Right. And do you think Mitch McConnell is going to go along with it or no?
2: This is an open question right now, and I'm not sure what happens next, but we're going to see a very interesting uh, outcome here, no matter what, because no matter what Bill Barr does, he cannot overcome the fact that. Uh, Donald Trump lost in the electoral college. And short of some set of concatenating miracles, he is going to still be the loser. He will go to his grave as the loser, the losing loser who lost.
1: How would he even not be the loser?
2: Well, it would require multiple miracles in multiple states of actual factual evidence of voter fraud. And then it would require courts to assess those and say, uh, we have to reorder the count or what have you. It's not going to. To happen.
1: The question is, does Bill Barr convince Mitch McConnell to go along with it anyway?
2: I think it's entirely possible right now that Bill Barr is saying to Mitch McConnell, hey, listen, Donald's going to fight this all the way down. I just have to give you a heads up. Now, there are other possibilities, of course, is that Barr is telling McConnell, you know, Trump will leave quietly if we'll just load some gold bars onto the car <laughs> you know, and let him flee to Saudi Arabia in peace. But- it's definitely going to get, get very testy in Washington because Trump is going to continue to drive on this angle of, you know, I won, it's fake. Who knows what, what news Mitch McConnell is or, or Bill Barr is bearing to Mitch McConnell? Who knows? Right. It could be something completely innocuous, or it could be him saying basically, Trump's going to duct tape himself. or or hog tie himself to the golden throne and we're going to have to drag him out of the White House kicking and screaming. Which, by the way, if that does become the case, it's really important that we do pay-per-view for that It will cover the national
1: debt. (laughs) Either way, I think we can agree there will be fuckery. Oh, yes. And great quantities
3: of it.
2: Huge quantities of fuckery.
3: So DJ TJ is now saying...
1: <laughs> That's right. His Christian, his Christian <laughs> name, DJ TJ.
2: As he is referred to in the church.
1: That's
3: right. So fail son number one has been saying that it is nefarious that the vaccine has been released just two days after his father's humiliating defeat and of course Pfizer doing this proved them right when Mike Pence tried to take credit for it.
2: You guys have any thoughts on this? Well, I have a thought on it and my thought is that Don Jr is having a very bad day and he can't get he can't get his friend on the line, you know, the guy with the delivery. He can't get him on the line. He's getting really nervous. And why are these ants under my skin? I feel weird. I feel weird. I can't stop talking. I feel weird. I'm itching everywhere. Oh, I'm sorry. That's that's not me. That's DJ TJ. My favorite DJ TJ of the day is that he's saying, well, maybe we'll run his independence in 2024 if you don't do what we want. I'm like, dumbest threat ever.
1: (laughs) My favorite is his girlfriend delivering a lap dance or strip tease to a Republican donor. Did you see that in Politico?
2: I saw it, and I've been awake since then, fearing fearing what dreams (laughs) may come if I shut my eyes. And the thought of Kimberly Guilfoyle, performing an act she
1: calls (laughs) (laughs) we have our first beeps you're gonna have to beep that yeah that's getting beeped it turns (laughs) out that hiring your kids to fundraise for your presidential re-election is not a great move
2: who could have seen it coming
1: oh wait everyone So, in
3: other really fun news, it seems that even though the electorate has closed in on Donald Trump, the virus is yet again circling again with Matt Gates getting it,
2: Mark Meadows, and Ben Carson now. If I may quote the political philosopher's Depeche Mode <laughs> I don't want to start any blasphemous rumors, but I think that God's got a sick sense of humor. <laughs> um, these guys getting COVID are absolutely so fucking on brand for the dumbassery of this it's astounding
1: yeah it is kind of amazing it's ast- well,
2: I don't know about you, but Ben Carson coming down with it—the famous doctor Ben Carson, who weirdly has had nothing to say on the on the COVID front except to praise the glories of hydroxychloroquine. I think the guy is. <laughs> it's just so fitting that these guys are all getting this. It's like it's like
1: on the day that Biden. It's like they COVID did it on course. election
2: day. Uh, yeah, and today Biden's got a task force of people who are who are um, scientists, doctors, epidemiologists, healthcare specialists, pharma. Uh, distribution specialist, et cetera, and the White House has has infected Dr. Ben and, of course, Scott Atlas, our our, our, longtime, our longtime friend, Scott Atlas.
1: Has he gotten it yet?
2: Not yet, but I'm sure he's looking forward to it.
1: <laughs> I mean, it is just an amazing thing.
2: It really is, and I, I think the contrast is going to open up faster than people think in their heads.
1: Oh, David Bossy has it, too.
2: Oh, that's <laughs> nice for David. <laughs> <laughs> David really is a sort of um, member of the grifter Trump demimonde who got thrown out, got, got back in, got thrown out, got back in, got thrown out, got back in. And a lot of these guys right now, and I, since we spoke uh, last, I've had a couple conversations with people who have confirmed for me that no one in Trump world, no one except Donald Trump himself, believes there's a path out of this, right? When I say no one, I mean including Jared Navanka, Meadows. They all know it's over, right? But guys like Bossy and Lewandowski and Bannon for as long as he can stay out of jail, they're all preparing (laughs) these epic fundraising plans that – that will go in three phases. They will go in phase one, help us get this election back on track. We won and they lost. And we mm-hmm. all we have to do is find Hunter's fourth laptop to prove mm-hmm.
1: it. Mm-hmm.
2: The second wave of that is they betrayed him. They betrayed him. Now they must pay. We must take this to the Supreme Court so Amy Comey Barrett can vote against us.
1: <laughs> because it's
2: all ludicrously short of the truth.
1: No, it's kind of amazing.
2: Yeah, and... It is utterly certain that the stab in the back myth is now the central part of the Trump folklore. That's why DJ TJ is threatening to run as an independent. You, know, you either stand with us or we'll blow everything up. <laughs> it's like, it's like, do what I want and the dog gets it. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: DJ TJ, I don't think he's the future of the Republican Party. I'm going to go out on a limb here. Why not? Because he's so dumb. I mean, even I, I just think he doesn't have the charisma of his father or I mean, I just don't see that playing out. But I'm curious.
2: I disagree with you on that. And here's really? why you
1: think DJ TJ.
2: He speaks fluent asshole. OK, he loves it. And the, and the what does the Trump base want? They don't want policy. Right. They don't want any of that stuff. All they want is anger. And they want somebody to say, you're the avatar, you're the avatar of our anger, and he will play that role to the hilt. He will play that role to the nth degree.
1: Right. It's certainly true. That is certainly true. And I don't think Ivanka is the future.
2: No, Ivanka is not the future.
1: What do we think Ivanka's future is? Reality television show. She's already shopping. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. Molly's right. She's right. She hates it. Okay. She hates that. She really wanted to spend the rest of her life going to Davos and Aspen and South by Sundance and everything else and being the intellectual Trump.
1: Right. Exactly. She feels like an oxymoron because it is.
2: Because it happens to be impossible
1: to be the intellectual Trump. There is no intellectual Trump.
2: Well, let me push back to you
3: guys. Do we really think those polite society people are going to be impolite to them? Like, I don't see the pig's blood getting dumped on her head like Carrie, right?
1: I could could see it. I think people are real mad.
2: Listen, when Anna Wintour is scheming the list of the Met Ball, she's not going to take one iota of shit for the Trumps. Mm.
1: What I would say is this. In a world where, and this is actually- In a a world. world. (laughs) (laughs) Shut the (laughs) fuck up. As someone who knows- This world a little bit, but not as much as you are.
2: You are the rich whisperer.
1: (laughs) I would say this people like that get forgiven because they have billions of dollars and they can, like, you know, they can float a charity. Like someone, for example, like Woody Johnson, who's given millions and millions of dollars to Trump and who has been a real Republican piece of shit, will get forgiven because he has millions and millions of dollars and he can donate to stuff. Someone right. right. Someone like Ivanka, who is so clearly an eyesore and hard to obfuscate for and then isn't so rich, ultimately, uh, is not going to get forgiven.
2: I just like to think of her, her, her photograph on the real estate snipe signs out in front of houses in a suburb of Orlando, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Trump Kushner Realty. <laughs> you can move in today. To some three to two hundred fifty thousand dollar beater.
1: <laughs> I think she's going to end up being the one who ends who is got the reality television life, and then Junior runs for some elected office, right? Or maybe he doesn't. Maybe he just.
2: Well, he won't run for it in New York. It's impossible, right? So he'll move to Montana or Pennsylvania or somewhere else or Wyoming and and try his little celebutard candidacy, and we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah. The problem is he is not as charismatic as his father.
2: Oh, no. And he's an asshole. Yeah. But remember, Donald Trump is a specific flavor. No one ever thought, well, not no one. Most people ever never thought, this guy's a genius, man. God, right? this guy, he's just so brilliant. But at the
1: end of the day, he was able to sort of pull the wool over people's eyes.
2: Yes, exactly, briefly, and, and had a reality show to do so. I think there's a lot of reality television in, in store for the Trumps, a
1: yeah, lot. Me too. But what me network too.
3: takes it without getting repercussions?
1: Oh, I want to know Fox that. already
3: has no ads on it for the primetime line. Right, but
2: remember, Fox doesn't depend on ads.
1: What does Fox depend on? Fox is paid by
2: the head on cable, by cable systems.
1: I don't understand. So if you're
2: Comcast in you know, ass crack Florida. You have a thousand households. You pay Fox $7 per household. If you're, if you're that cable provider, if you want to have them on your network,
1: I don't understand.
2: That's how they really make their money. It's a, it's a boring show for us to do it, but it's a real thing. And, and again, they, they do not depend on the ad rev. The, the ad rev is nice. They need it. They would, they would like to have it, but it, they do not depend on it to keep the network afloat. So what
3: you're saying is if people want to get
2: rid of Fox, as so they have to protest their cable companies. That is correct. Interesting. Right. So if you want to put some pain on Fox, you go to the Comcast board and you say, by the way, we're going to make your lives a living hell of eternal desperation. You don't even have to tell them to throw Fox off their air. You just have to pay Fox what other networks of comparable ratings get, cuz they get a premium on their rate. Well, they're great negotiators. They own a specific part of the audience right. that no one else really has access to. It's an artifact, in some ways, of the hardball style that Ailes and 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 Rupert brought into Fox, and it's it's in an, it's a creation. But you know, that's about that's about where it's at.
3: So. Speaking of other ways that the Trumps may be losing their audience, Twitter has reportedly said that Donald Trump will lose his banning privilege that he's avoided uh, for all this time when he is no longer in office.
2: Have you looked at his Twitter page lately? It's always like false information, false information, false information. So
3: over under on how long it takes him to get kicked off Twitter post uh, inauguration?
2: Seven o'clock that
3: night.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What do you think happens now? You think Trump will ever
2: accept the results? No, he will never accept the results. It will always be uh, cheated, lied, fake news, fake election. I won. He lost. They just stole it from me. It was George Soros. It was the deep state. It was blah, 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 blah. Do we have a hypothesis of why Esper was fired? Well, Eric Trump needs a job for the next 60 days. (laughs) (laughs)
1: don't we think that really what's happening is this is just like the festivus massacre where trump is firing everyone he has grievances against
2: absolutely uh you can expect those things to start in the intelligence agencies tomorrow from what i hear there's about to be a bloodbath over okay
1: so gina haskell is next Mm -hmm.
2: call me crazy But crippling our intelligence services is a goal that many of our enemies have have enjoyed for countless decades. I wonder why he's doing it now. Mm.
3: Mm. So so we think this is less
2: vengeance and more to
3: clear way for fuckery.
2: Yeah. Oh, I think it's it's all about fuckery.
1: So what do you mean fuckery?
2: I talked to someone today who, in a security-related government agency, who does a lot of Continuity of government stuff, which is obscure and and creepy, and worst case scenario planning. And this person indicated to me that the Trump folks have been trying to burrow in to their government jobs, like convert their political appointments into permanent positions, uh, even though you're not supposed to. They're 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 working very hard on that. And I I asked this person like, well, what, what's being done about it? And it, and they replied, names are being kept, but it's going to be. It's going to be interesting to see how much they manage to accomplish in that regard, because they're going to try to install, like, little grinnells into a whole bunch of, of other parts of the government and, and, and into the security apparatus of the government.
1: That's really scary. A bit. Yeah. Biden's going to have to sweep out that whole fuckery.
2: As I would like to say, to quote from the sacred text, I volunteer as tribute.
1: (laughs) Dr. Eric Topol is a best-selling author and the founder and director of the Scripps Research Translational Institute. Eric Topol, my, like, guy in the world, who I called you up before I did this vaccine trial, if you remember.
0: I remember well. You were very worried, I know.
1: (laughs) Talk to me about what you see
0: happening now. Well, I, I guess the best way, I don't use this term often, BFD, but that's what this looks like. Uh, this, is, this is really something because we were hoping for 60% efficacy and this is 90% uh, with 94 events, which is, you know, not 164. That's the complete trial, right. but it's awfully good. This shows that we have a vaccine that really works And it may wind up being, you know, 80 percent, but it's going to be very powerful. That changes the whole landscape in a very positive way.
1: Can you explain to us, first of all, what 94 events means for those keeping track at home and also (laughs) what that means about the landscape?
0: Yeah, well, so the... The trial has 44,000 participants. That's the Pfizer trial. It's the second largest. The largest this is a J and j at 60,000.
1: Is this the largest medical trial in history?
0: It isn't the largest, but it's in that rarefied group, yes. You know, the Johnson & Johnson is 60,000. But it's these numbers of people in a trial, you know, are, 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 these are way high-end. Now, the 44,000 people, in order to show efficacy, it was set up that you had to show that at least 60% benefit of less infections in the 164 events at the end of the trial. And so there were interim looks that were planned when the independent group, the Data and Safety Monitoring Committee, reviewed the data. And that occurred uh, apparently yesterday And there were 94 events, uh, not quite more than halfway, but, you know, not 164.
1: Can you explain what events are?
0: Yeah. So the events are uh, an infection that's confirmed by virus testing, the the PCR testing, and symptoms. It it could be cough. It could be, you know, any of the symptoms that are associated with COVID. And so uh, this marked suppression of infections was even more than we had hoped for. And the implications for that, if it holds up at the end of the trial and for other vaccines, will be extraordinary. Because not only does it look safe, but highly effective, but also that will speed up when we get to this population level herd immunity. Everybody's been talking about that. You only can get that with a vaccine, but you get it much faster, much easier with a vaccine that has high Efficacy.
1: People have described this as closer to the measles vaccine than the flu vaccine. Do you think that's accurate?
0: Well, there's a lot of differences uh, that are beyond just the high level of efficacy. Uh, it's high levels of these neutralizing antibodies. And so, what we talk about is a superhuman vaccine, which just looks like it might be. Superhuman, meaning that the vaccine for measles is even more powerful than the typical human response. That is, uh, when you naturally have an infection and you respond to it for measles, it isn't as good as the vaccine. We knew from the neutralizing antibodies that were very high in, in virtually all these programs, you know, five, six, seven of these phase three programs, it looked really encouraging. But when you get to the levels of 90%, assuming that holds up, that's really good because if you go out in the, in the, in the real world, and see how many people develop protection, it's not 90% likely. So it gets into this, there aren't many vaccines that are superhuman, but tetanus, measles, herpes zoster, uh, there's only a few that really qualify in that, and this may wind up being in that category.
1: So is it fair to say that so far, and we're speaking in hypotheticals because it hasn't happened yet, but so far this is the best possible outcome for a vaccine we could have hoped for?
0: I think that's really true, Molly. I mean, you're never going to get to 100%, but, you know, over 90, that's, that's damn good. So right. yeah, this is, this is far better than expected. And, you know, when the 50 to 60% criteria that Pfizer was hoping for 60% uh, efficacy, the FDA threshold was 50%. So you just give you a sense of how much better this is than what was expected or the, the minimal threshold for getting approval.
1: It's amazing. I'm curious to know, in your mind, what Happens
0: next? Yeah, so it's going to go fast. Pfizer has to fulfill the safety timetable, which gives them a couple more weeks before they can file the emergency authorization application. That probably is already in the works, has been in the works, and they're going to get that in, you know, in the next couple of weeks, certainly before Thanksgiving. What What will happen then is that there there's an internal review at FDA. There's also an external review of experts that it were recently assembled. They will. likely, if the data holds up as expected and the safety, which also looks very good, they will recommend EUA, emergency authorization. That will occur in December. And the moment that hits, the moment that EUA is granted, vaccines will be shipped out throughout the country to start with the rollout uh, of healthcare workers.
1: So you're thinking December, healthcare workers start getting vaccinated?
0: Unless something happens that's unexpected at this point, yes. We will see the rollout in medical centers uh, throughout the country, uh, probably mid December, uh, but certainly before the end of the year.
3: Do you have any other projections for what else we could see in that timeline for the rest of the people?
0: We'll likely see the Moderna vaccine, which is just behind Pfizer. Uh, it also will go through the process. It may not be quite a, as fast, but I wouldn't be surprised if it also gets approval by the end of the calendar year or uh,
3: early January. So what is the use in having two vaccines then? Oh, gosh, we need five.
1: <laughs> oh, really? Because <Okay. laughs> yeah, yeah. we got to vaccinate everybody, right?
3: Yeah, we, we got to get 300 million people. Yeah, yeah. But so why not just have the most effective one dispersed? We don't
0: know that yet. Right. I mean, it turns out most likely this this virus is, is not going to be that hard to override with the vaccine.
1: Thank God.
0: Yeah, most likely all the vaccines are going to be pretty darn effective. This is an indicator that, Uh, We're going to see high efficacy probably across the board. But, I mean, if we have vaccines that are not uh, quite uh, 90 and and let's say another one turned out to be 70, well, people will flock to the one that has highest efficacy. We'll have to see. But my guess is they're all going to be pretty darn good.
1: Moderna will be close to Pfizer, right? Because it's the
0: same mRNA. Yeah, yeah. Those are the two messenger RNA vaccines, which, which have never been, in, you know, at scale, but have tremendous promise. Yeah, so Moderna will probably, it'd be surprising if it isn't very similar, just because it's, a, you know, of the different types of vaccines, it's it's, it's in the same category, and I, I suspect it'll be very high efficacy. But we need multiple vaccine programs to get, you know, we, we got to get uh a couple hundred million people in this country vaccinated. Actually, the good news of today, if this 90% holds up, we, we don't need as many people because right. that, that was uh, assuming 60% efficacy. This is That's going to bring down all those problems with trust and hesitancy and anti-vaxxers. I mean, those are still issues, but they're not going to be as big an issue if this efficacy holds up.
1: Can you explain why that is just for people, just for laymen?
0: Right. So, the virus needs to find people to to survive, to thrive. And the more people that are getting protection, the less chance it can find uh, hosts uh, to accommodate it. And so, what we're going to see, assuming this 90% holds up, is... And, and the vaccine distribution goes as planned, which is really, that's the good part. It's been very well planned by the military, this Operation Warp Speed. It's going to, the day the EUA hits, it goes all over the country, it's shipped, and uh, and every, every dose is tracked. Um, so, assuming we get, you know, high-level uptake... Uh, People And again, we don't need as high as initially forecasted. We could see uh, the virus having a hard time finding people to infect by mid-year. That's what population immunity means. The more difficult it is. I mean, this virus will probably be endemic. It'll be here for years, but it's just going to have harder times to find people to to, uh, infect. Yes, exactly. You know that's why this is. This is has a more uh, you're very uh, astute Molly, as usual, it has Thank more you. of a measles look than it does of a flu vaccine look. Thank God,
1: right? Yeah,
0: yeah. Flu vaccines are notoriously, you know, weak. This one looks potent, and it also means all of them will likely follow suit.
1: Is that because the flu mutates so much?
0: That's one big part of it, yes. The flu is a very rapidly evolving virus. And the only good thing about this virus, there's so few good things, is that this one is like damn slow and it hasn't changed really uh, any significance throughout the entire pandemic. So that is really important in terms of uh, the vaccine efficacy. But it's also the way targeting the the spike protein turns out, you know, it's, it's really an easy target. Uh, The flu vaccine just isn't as easy a target. This was kind of ideal. This one had a flashing sign. You can vaccinate against me. You will prevail. (laughs) I think that's what we're getting (laughs) to here. Yeah.
1: Do you think... um Can you talk, there's been a lot of internet discussion this morning about whether or not Pfizer was part of Operation Warp Speed, and the answer seems to be yes and no.
0: Yes, it wasn't part of Operation Warp Speed, which gave it kind of free reign to do as it pleased in the in this part, the clinical trial, you know, setting its endpoints, setting its interim analyses, you know, basically they weren't taking funding to be part of this Operation Warp Speed, and they want to roll on their own. They were the only large trial in the U.S. rolling on their own. But in terms of distribution, they are part of Operation Warp Speed. So the day that uh, emergency authorization goes forward, the OWS is responsible for getting the vaccine out. So they're they're kind of in and out, but up to this point, they're not part of the government uh, Warp Speed program.
1: But they did benefit from some of the public private partnership
0: stuff, right? Oh, oh, absolutely. Oh, and there's been lots of crosstalk with, with that group. So no, there was no question. They just didn't, they they were the, the kind of running solo, which gave them more, you know, kind of freedom to operate. All the other trials have a single uh, data and safety monitoring committee. They have more kind of alignment in how they're proceeding. Pfizer really was. Rolling
3: on their own. Right. That's so interesting. Eric, so one of the most disturbing things I've been seeing on social media this morning is people are saying, Oh wow, it's so effective. So I won't have to get it. Uh, wrong. Uh, <laughs>
0: <wrong>. <laughs> yeah, the virus will find you. That's what's gonna happen, folks. You know, people will want to get this vaccine. You know, when you have the trust, when you have you know, when we get all the data, which we'll have in the weeks ahead, it'll be all transparent. You know, all the people you can trust will will, you know, weigh in in, and and we'll have new leadership that you can trust. Uh, Coronavirus task force, who you can trust. We'll start to turn around that hesitancy, that that you know, reluctance. The antibodies to a vaccine, I hope. But the good part, though, I think it's essential, is we we won't have to get uh, nearly as high of the population uh, vaccinated. But those who don't. Those who, you know, stay in the, I'm not going to have this thing, they will be at risk. And uh, that's not good because there's going to be this vaccine. The virus will still be out there. It just won't be as easy to spread.
1: You've seen some of the Biden administration's new COVID task force. First of all, what do you think of the task force? And second of all, what do you think they should be doing now?
0: Well, I know of the 13, I know six of them really well. They're excellent. Um, I think they have in their plans, you know, all the right things are in there. Um, you know, obviously, we got to get this testing right. We got to get home rapid testing right. ASAP, we, we've got to get a digital dashboard, a real time to track everything that's going on in this country. Um, you know, there's so many things that we have. We should have done, you know, back in March. Right. right. Uh, we, we're going to get those done. They, the plans are good. Obviously, the challenges are more than formidable with 120,000 per day of new infections. So, you know, I, I think the task force was essential. We haven't had one. Basically, we're Ever. flying blind. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's just incredible. So this is what we needed. We have some very qualified people in that group. I have talked to Vivek Murthy. Uh, you know, I've consulted with him. He's one of the chairs. I think I'm very impressed with them and they, they have the right ideas going forward. One thing to add, I think this is important for your listeners, masks. They're going to be really important in 2021. Tell us why. A lot of why. people don't realize that. There's two real reasons why masks are, are going to be essential. I wish they wouldn't be, but it's the case that they will be. First of all, the vaccines, when we talk about 90% efficacy, that's of getting pneumonia or getting you know, a, 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 uh, your body infected with illness. It doesn't sterilize the upper respiratory tract, that is the nose, and so you could be a carrier of the virus. Right. And so we're going to have to wear a mask because you won't know if you're if the virus is sitting in your, your nasal mucosa. The second thing is you may not form the neutralizing antibodies at the really high level. That is, you may not be protected. Most people will, of course. But so because we don't know these things until we get this virus almost squashed, We got to wear masks. And I think a lot of people don't realize that. So the good news is we got a really potent vaccine, likely. The other news is keep those masks. You know, by the way, that task force, they should be organizing to get surgical masks to every household in the United States, a large supply. That's what they should be doing right now. That's not on their list, but that's what they should be doing. They're better than cloth masks. They're cheap. And we should have a gazillion of them out there for the public.
1: So good. Thank you so much,
0: Eric. Oh, yeah. Great to talk to you
3: folks.
6: dot com slash the new abnormal. Before we get into things, we
2: have a fun little treat. There are so many insane things happening in the world right now, and two episodes a week just aren't enough to cover it all. So, The New Abnormal is going to release a limited-run series of bonus interviews over the next few weeks for Beast Inside members only. We'll release a new one each Sunday, but listen carefully. Only Beast Inside members will have access to these. So, head over to the newabnormal.thedailybeast.com to become a Beast Inside member now. That's newabnormal.thedailybeast.com com.
1: Mary Trump is the author of too much and never enough, as well as having the unfortunate distinction of being the lame duck president, Donald J. Trump's niece. I'm so excited to have you back. It's so good to be back. It seems like it's been several decades. <laughs> it's been a long time. So first of all, what is going on? What do you think is happening right now?
4: Basically what I anticipated with the caveat that I never cease to underestimate the cravenness of the Republican leadership. But, you know, that's because I don't know what dirt Donald has on them. So, you know, Donald is, is, is being completely true to form. It's unacceptable. It's impossible for him to wrap his head around. He's surrounded by a bunch of cowards and yes-men who will not do what's required. And honestly, even at this point, even if somebody like Jared or Ivanka... I guess that would be the end of the very short list. Um, I don't even think he he would listen to anybody right now because he's too consumed with rage and terror, which is basically, you know, the, the bookends that have defined his entire life.
1: What do you think happens now? Well, it's interesting. Well, I think the moral logic is really a better
4: word. I saw yesterday that somebody... Claimed anyway that he's willing to concede under certain conditions. Like, <laughs> what does that even Like, what conditions? Free ice cream forever? Free Big Mac? What, that, what does that mean?
3: What stage of the reckoning is bargaining? What stage yeah. Of grief?
4: <laughs> yeah, he's, he's going. I think he's going to be in denial <laughs> for the rest of his life, but he cannot stay there. Right. So, uh, you know, we've been assured by people in the position to know. That he's not going to be allowed to stay there. So the question is then, will the people around him? figure out a way to make the idea of leaving, if not attractive, at least a better alternative than staying. Because what he certainly doesn't realize, and what they may not, and in this I include Republican leadership, is that every second he continues to stay there with his stupid tweets that get keep getting flagged and removed and firing people via tweet like Esper and either strong-arming or... I'm not sure what he's doing with the people like the woman at the GSA who's refusing to write the letter to allow the transition to begin. Every minute he's doing that, he's humiliating himself. He's revealing himself to be the total infantile loser he is in sharp contrast to an actual president who's actually starting to roll up the police and do the work even though he doesn't have the job yet, President Biden, and how Republicans or have to get to, well, they don't have to, but they should get to the point where they realize that every second they allow this to happen, and they are the ones allowing this to happen, as you know, right? they increase our chances in Georgia. Right, it's
1: true. (laughs) Is there no one around him who can like speak to him gingerly? And I mean, you've seen over the last two days, Rupert Murdoch try to do it. (laughs) I mean, is there no one in his world? First of all, no.
4: (laughs) For different reasons. I think Rupert Murdoch, Biden, you know, Fox News has, at least in Donald's view, been going rogue a little bit. Between the Chris Wallace Performance at the debate, which was objectively terrible, but Donald thought it was terrible for completely delusional reasons, to the fact that Fox News called Arizona before everybody else did. And then Fox News actually called the whole election based on verifiable data. So, Ruber Murdoch has delegitimized himself, and Donald does. And then but the people who could, like Jared and Ivanka, won't because one, they're cowards. You know, I read in the, well, it was in the New York Times, Jared, uh, tasked these, uh, close advisors to go speak to him, but declined to accompany
1: them. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty amazing.
4: So it's like, you know, it was sort of like, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll consider it the next round. Like, what is it, this joke, like, uh, the dog's on the roof, you know, <laughs> mom's on the roof. You know? right. <laughs> this is not something that is allowed to happen in phases. You can see it or you don't. Right. You allow the transition or you don't, and it needs to happen now, because as lovely as it is that it's increasing our chances in Georgia, it's also undermining our democracy, so this right. is a bad thing. So I think the other thing that we cannot discount is, Is how psychologically invested at a very deep, unconscious level Donald is in never acknowledging this loss. Right. I don't want to say impossible, but it is psychologically devastating for him. And he's a weak person who has no meaningful support system. And the people in his inner circle, as I mentioned, not only are they cowards, they also have a lot at stake here. So getting on his bad side at a crucial time, in their view, won't work out well for them because it's all transactional. Which
3: is true, certainly. Mary, I think an interesting thing that I've been trying to grapple with this is that we're all talking about how he's not going to be able to accept failure yet. He's had so much failure in his life. Do you have any insight on how that psychologically plays out?
4: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question because you're absolutely right. You know, it, it's amazing that on the one hand, losing is the thing that is the worst thing to do, but he's never won anything. Right. Ever. Yeah. This is the difference, though. He's never won anything legitimately, and legitimacy means nothing to him because his ego is such that if he gets the win just by virtue of, you know, cheating, lying, stealing, he knows he deserves to win. Right. So it's okay for him to cheat, lying, steal. And he's always had somebody else either looking the other way or enabling him You know, there's always been my grandfather to bail him out with money and political connections. The banks have done the same thing. The media have done the same thing by, you know, ignoring the real story in order to focus on... The Trump story. Yeah, you know, the the, the slimy details, the salacious stuff. Uh, Mark Burnett did that for him. The Republican Party did that for him as soon as he got the nomination. And he has literally never been in a position like this before in his life, where there are absolutely no options. There is no way for him to get out of this one. He's trapped, and it cannot be undone. It cannot be rebranded. It's a loss. It's an enormous loss. And not only this, and this is something else that we need to keep in mind because it is fueling his rage and his unwillingness to accept the loss even further. He lost. The Republican Party did not lose. In
1: fact, they actually did well.
4: Yeah, I mean, certainly better than expected. So nobody can say, even him, that it's the that he would have won if it hadn't been for the Republican Party dragging him down. Um, I mean, he'll try to say that because clearly he doesn't understand how coattails work. <laughs> but right. um, even if that were the case, you can't say that because they picked up houses, they picked up seats in the House. And they should have gotten tranced in the Senate, and there's a possibility they might keep the Senate, which again, this is just a sad, sad testament to where America is as country. But it's all on him. So, you know, I saw a Venn diagram earlier. It's president, one term presidents, impeached presidents, and presidents who lost the popular vote. He's the only one in the middle of that in the Venn diagram circle that, of the three overlapping circles. It's just him. You know, he's lost the popular vote twice, more this time than the last time. And he's never been, as I've been saying, ever been legitimate.
1: So you are someone who really understands the psychology of this situation. How worried should we be about him firing Esper? Like, is he firing Esper because he's going to war? With North Korea, or is he, I mean, he wouldn't go to war with North Korea because he loves them, but because he's going to bomb Canada, or is he doing it just because he's, <laughs> he's mad at people? Well, you know, Trudeau is better looking. Yeah,
4: you know, <laughs> better. Yeah,
5: that's
4: that's yeah. all the reason Abaka knows made. it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so
4: does Melania. So, although I guess you're right, that's irrelevant. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, of course we should be worried. We should be worried because, one, it's just another way in which he's eroding our norms. Right. Now, the question then becomes, though, is this, is this an ineffectual abuse of power? Like, is he just flexing to try to convince people that he's still, he's still strong and he still has power? Or is he planning something? I think at the moment he is he's emotionally incapable of of having any kind of strategy. I mean not that he's usually capable of strategizing, but you know, I think it I think it's just a lashing out more than anything else. Because the other the other question is, like what purpose does this serve? We might see Ray get fired, we might see Haspel get fired, but for what? I mean Who's he going to replace in what are we down to 72 days? Right. And oh, by the way, that tr- this needs to change. It's, you know, the election's on November 3rd. The new president gets sworn in on November 4th. Give me a break. <laughs> we should be worried. And either way, I'm in terms of the damage he can do, though, I'm more worried about the kinds of pardons he's going to start issuing. I'm more worried about the possibility of signing more executive orders. Although, I mean, that would be a short term yeah, thing. What it can would just do? be. It would be demoralizing, right? but much more I'm worried about the extent to which he throws a spanner. What am I, British? What the hell is a spanner? A wrench? You're my favorite a person. Spanner? <laughs> a spanner is a gear. Right. But seriously, with the 70 million people who need a lot of therapy... You know, the extent to which he can, he has the power to, right. to legitimize the incoming in, uh, administration. That's the thing that most worries me.
1: Yeah. But so you don't think he's going to war with Canada?
4: <laughs> I i mean, that's the country I'd pick. But um.
1: <laughs> Right. But I feel, and you know, so I'm curious to know your hot take on this. I feel like he's actually quite weak and he won't oh do something God, scary. So weak. Okay, good. All right.
4: But honestly, even if you were considering it,
1: I wouldn't bet on this with my life, certainly.
4: But at that point, I don't think the Republicans have a choice but to step in because it would be so obvious and craven. Right. It doesn't change the outcome of the election. What does it do then? Right. (laughs) You know, so I think even they at that point would have to admit that it's over and and they've got to they have got to stop the bleeding.
3: Right. That's interesting. Mary, where were you when you found out the news?
4: I was here in Cape Cod. I can't remember. What was I doing? I think I was working. And I was toggling between MSNBC and CNN. Because, and it was just, just me um, and Sebastian. Sebastian was very happy when he heard the news. And it was, it was the weirdest feeling because, like, we've all been waiting so long. And, it you know, so there wasn't this moment of euphoria. It was just like... Oh, okay. <laughs> relieved. So it took a while to for it to sink in, I think. And then, you know, the the uh I keep banging up against the seventy million, like that's keeping me from being um, you know, unreservedly happy.
1: Right. Well and it's also I feel like it's very scary. It is. You know, what still could happen.
4: That's why the Republicans can never be allowed to recover from this. What they're doing now. I mean, forget about what they've done in the last four years, which is horrific enough. But what they're doing now is unforgivable. Because what's the point?
1: Are you gonna change your last name?
4: I actually I'm I'm hoping that they're gonna have to change their last name. Yes.
1: <laughs> Amazing.
4: But I'm pretty sure I am gonna have to. Yeah. Wow.
1: Well, I think people know who you are and what you've done,
4: so Yeah. It just might make my life easier. I don't know. Uh, well, we, it totally depends on how it plays out. So interesting. I mean, if he had if he had stolen another election, I absolutely would have had to change my last name.
1: <laughs> Who do you think <laughs> runs in 2024? Trump or Eric <laughs> <Sorry>. or Jr. <Junior laughs> or Ivanka or do they all run?
4: I I want I want all of them to run. I think the whole Donald 2024 thing is just a way to um, assuage his wounded ego. Yeah, definitely. Granted, Joe Biden is 78. Donald will be 78. However, he's like the least healthy person on the planet between his diet, his failure to exercise ever, and his untreated mental illnesses. I mean, there's absolutely... No way! Like somebody said to me, is like, will he even, you know, will he be psychologically competent in four years? I'm like, he isn't now,
5: so <laughs> you
4: know, and and this will just be the the coup de gras, you know. I he doesn't recover from this ever, and I think if the states, particularly New York State do their jobs. And I'll, let's just stick with New York because I think that's our best bet. If Letitia James, in whom I have much more faith than I do in Cybez, uh, do their jobs, uh, and I, I'm pretty sure that they want to, can you run a presidential campaign from Rikers Island?
1: Maybe. <laughs>
4: but if, if you know we were fortunate enough to have this happen, I think it would be Donnie.
1: Yeah, Donnie. He's the dumbest. He's my favorite. The
4: dumbest and, and the basiest.
1: Leon Nafok is the co-creator of the amazing podcast Slow Burn and the host of Fiasco, a podcast on the 2000 election recount. Tell us a little bit about this podcast that you have, this new one.
6: Yeah, happy to. So Fiasco is a podcast, uh, it's an anthology series, I guess you could say, where each season is about a different uh, major historical event. From American politics that we revisit by you know going back and interviewing uh, everyone that we can find who was there and saw it up close and find archival footage from news coverage that was you know that was aired at the time and just try to basically retell the story in a way that makes the listener feel like they know what it was like to live through in real time before anyone had the benefit of hindsight. And so with this season, uh, Bush v. Gore, we took on the 2000 election and the recount in Florida that took place over the next, uh, over 36 days that followed uh, election day in 2000.
1: So Trump world is really pretty hot on the idea that this is 2000. Normal people who can process reality don't agree with that. Tell me what your take
6: on this is I don't think it's 2000 um, and I'm actually been, been kind of surprised not to hear more like overt comparisons to 2000 from the Trump people because you would think like they <laughs>
1: right?
6: would want yeah, they would want this to, to, to look as much like 2000 as possible just because like whatever you think about the you know final outcome of the Supreme Court decision, everyone was sort of on the same page that like there were some issues to figure out I think right now there are the consensus among reasonable people who are not trying to be president is there are no things to figure out. Uh, obviously, he's, he's trying to convince everyone that there are, that there are issues, you know, with the with the vote count or which votes were counted, which ones were not supposed to be counted. You know, that he, there, there's an attempt, obviously, it's a group effort by Trump and his allies to kind of create the impression of ambiguity or lurking problems that we need to put under a microscope. But, it, you know, and that was actually true in 2000. I mean, there were a number of issues um, all over the state uh, that needed to be, worked through. The most famous example is the butterfly ballot in which, you know, a a ballot design decision in Palm Beach County resulted in ballots that misled or or confused voters who wanted to vote for Al Gore but accidentally ended up voting for Pat Buchanan just based on how the ballot was designed. I look back at, you know, as we we worked through this kind of tangle of of, of storylines that came up after, you know, after election day, you just find that there were so many little arenas in which this fight was being waged, right? So you had like the butterfly ballot on one hand, it ended up actually not being legally significant because there was just no way to undo it. But there were other issues in other counties where, you know, ballots that used a punch hole had resulted in people not punching their hole in all the way through. And so you had hanging chads and pregnant chads and dimpled chads, I don't know if those terms ring a bell. Um, And then separately from that, you had, you know, a controversy over military ballots or overseas absentee ballots. Both campaigns were sort of trying to find these like small, I guess like fights to pick, maybe you could say, like everyone wanted an excuse to, to, to get an edge over, over the other side. And so, and obviously the Gore team was especially incentivized to find issues because they were behind. And the reason like any old little storyline, like, you know, little old Palm beach what mattered so much was that the margin was just so tiny that anything that you could change about the vote count could end up being decisive.
1: Wow. But that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is they would have overturn numerous states.
6: Yeah, at margins that are like way bigger than what you saw in Florida. I mean, recounts don't generally move the, the vote count all that much. I don't know what the average is, you know, and how that's even calculated. But I was sort of surprised to learn that like the first thing the Gore team did when, when it was clear this was going into overtime was, you know, bring in a guy who specialized in recounts. Like he was a Democratic consultant who, you know, had written literally a book about how recounts work and how you should approach them when you're on whichever end you're on, right? whether you're losing or whether you're winning, the strategies are different. There are specialists on this because this is a thing that happens fairly frequently. I just don't think there's any, you know, there's not really a precedent for the kinds of margins we're seeing in these states, like Pennsylvania, for example, where a recount would really be expected to make a dent. So I don't know. I just feel like Trump and his legal team, such as it is, are like looking back to 2000 and thinking, oh, well, you know. They succeeded at kind of dragging things out and, you know, sowing doubt, uh, just by like filing a bunch of lawsuits, we can just do that too. And, you know, I, I do think people have like taken it more serious than they might have if we hadn't seen what happened in 2000 play out. Right. You know, there is, there is some sort of, in a very general sense, a precedent for this, but I just think as soon as you drill down into the particulars of what they're alleging and the kinds of numbers they're trying to overcome, it's just like, it doesn't have that much in common.
1: One of my favorite podcasts ever is Slow Burn. Thank you. You're welcome. It's amazing. <laughs> and it's all about, for the few people who haven't heard it, I'm sure everyone has, but it's all about Watergate. And you were doing this right at the same time as the impeachment. So I'm curious to know, were you, I mean, were you shocked that it didn't have a Watergate-like outcome or no?
6: You mean the, the Mueller investigation and all that? Yes. No, I really wasn't. Because it was really clear, even as we were making that season, that, you know, that, that, that Trump's support among his fellow republicans was just like somehow seemingly what do you call it like immune to laws of gravity like whatever laws of gravity were revealed you know through the watergate story it was just it was just obvious that like something was different about how people were making their calculations about whether it was worth it to stay by its side something was different because just you know and you can see this from like even putting aside his fellow politicians like his approval ratings among Republicans, or maybe it's just like his, yeah, his approval ratings among Republicans are just like totally stable across the four years. Like nothing, nothing seems to make a difference. You know, the kinds of scandals that would have obviously taken down people in the past just didn't seem to stick to him. Um, I'm saying, you know, things everyone knows at this point, but like, yeah, I, I would say it was clear to me kind of retracing the kind of course that Watergate took that a lot of things had to go a certain way for that outcome to, to come about. Like we sort of think of it now in retrospect as inevitable, but right. I think there were so many forks in the road in Watergate. As hopefully, you know, we, we, we kind of illustrated where someone decided, made, made a decision, right. Yeah. Or someone, or some kind of, kind of deus ex machina situation with like, but the tapes came in and kind of just changed the course of the entire story. It just seemed clear to me at the, at the end of that season that like, we got pretty lucky as a country in terms of the story of Watergate reaching that conclusion. And so it didn't seem like, oh, well, you know, it ended that way. And Watergate, that means it'll end this way. Right. Trump. Um, and of course, it didn't. So
1: That's so interesting. Do you think that conservatives, and I may get in trouble for a second, are stupider now? Or <laughs> <laughs> do they have just less of a commitment to democracy and the rule of law?
6: I don't know. I would be hesitant to, to 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 say anything as broad as all that, but I guess I suspect that has more to do with like media consumption and changes in how people's loyalties form and dissolve. Like I don't know. I guess I, when I look at the people who have stood by Trump, including like Marco Rubio, who right. you know you would think, or like Mitt Romney, even frankly, who like is not like a Trump supporter, but like has not taken
1: should know better.
6: Even when he came back like on his white horse into the Senate, like he still didn't. Distinguish himself by being the kind of aggressive anti-Trump Republican that you might have expected him to be, and I just like—I don't know—I'm not smart enough, I think myself, to to know what is what calculus these guys are making.
1: The X factor.
6: Yeah, I just don't get it. I don't know. I have to assume that these people go to home at night and know that they've been—you know—they've been silent in the face of like outrageous misconduct, and 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 they have, in many cases, defended falsehoods. And I don't know how they explain that to themselves. That's like something we try to do on the podcast with fiasco now is like figure out how people convince themselves of, of their own virtue or their own you know righteousness like it's just uh it's an amazing power of self-delusion that people use to protect themselves I guess I don't know
1: who were the worst actors so that I can shame them in the 2000 recount
6: <laughs> well I think like the best example of sort of a, a brazen like act of hypocrisy that was like clearly clearly undertaken because like nothing mattered but winning, uh, was when the uh, Republicans were trying to get a looser standard, uh, looser counting standard applied to overseas absentee ballots, which were understood to, to favor Bush because they were often coming from military bases. The Bush team found out that the Gore lawyers were going around the local election boards and telling them, like, look, you know, if you get overseas absentee ballots without a postmark, or with a postmark that's after the election, or without a signature, like, you can't count those. <laughs> and that's an example of like the Gore people being arguably like, you know, the kind of ruthless that people often want them to be, where they say, yeah, like, we're going to take this advantage, however we can, if we can, dis- you know, if we can, if we can discount. Certain ballots that we think are likely to go for Bush, we, we we will. But the Republicans still outmaneuvered them, despite like despite the Democrats seemingly being aggressive in that way they usually aren't. The Republicans still outmaneuvered them by uh, branding these ballots as military ballots. You know, all over TV, like all over Fox News, they were talking about military ballots and how Gore wanted to disenfranchise our men and women in uniform because he was like unwilling to to take those. Looser standard, or uh, excuse me, like because he was unwilling to, you know, encourage local officials to apply a looser standards to to military ballots. Meanwhile, like the same Republicans were arguing in Miami Dade, in Broward County, and in, in Palm Beach that, like, if a ballot had an error on it of some kind, or someone, you know, didn't sign their name, or if they didn't push through the the punch hole far enough all the way in, you know, like, sorry, rules are rules. You can't count it. And so they were simultaneously advocating for a looser standard uh, when it benefited them. Stricter standard would have benefited the other side. And so it's just like they just didn't care. Like they just didn't care about looking like hypocrites and they just wanted to win. And I think there's a lesson in that.
1: Yeah, no. And I mean, I wish Democrats would act like that more, but. It's so interesting. Since you've covered Watergate so heavily, and do you have a
3: feeling on if Joe Biden is going to be president number 46 or
6: 47? <laughs> <laughs> Wait a second. What's
1: Jesse, the <laughs> Jesse is convinced that Trump will like go to Mar-a-Lago, and I'm
3: convinced Pence is going to pardon
6: him. Wait, like he'll resign?
3: He's going to resign and let Pence pardon him.
6: That's interesting. And so Pence will become president, and then pardon Trump. Huh.
3: Yeah, for for January twentieth.
6: That's a really clever idea. I hope they don't. I hope they don't hear
1: it. <laughs> it's Jesse. is shopping it for Trump.
6: Put it out there, like give it to Gateway pundit. They'll say like people are saying that. Cool. Just watch it. Watch it zoom to the to the Twitter feed. <laughs> uh, well, now that you've said that, that seems like obviously it's going to happen. I, I will cop to being relaxed um, today with regard to what's going to happen. It feels as though everyone has just decided to uh, ignore Trump and decide it doesn't matter if he is going to concede. But I don't know. I mean, I, I, I will be honest and say I don't think I'll be able to really exhale until... I, I think we all like need Trump's permission to like believe it. I don't know. Like, do you remember like before the election, before election day, like people would on Twitter would be grabbing on to any instance of Trump like talking about his presidency, like in the past tense, or like saying something that betrayed his, you know, apparent like that he was capable of imagining himself losing. Like, I felt like so important that like Trump was willing to concede that he might lose. I feel like in the same way we all like are waiting for his permission to really believe it that you all Insist on staying in the White House, but it seems more and more like uh, he's being drowned out, so.
1: Yeah, that is kind of exciting. Rick Wilson! Yeah? Welcome to our one segment.
2: The one segment required by state, federal law, and international treaty.
1: Who is your fuck that guy?
2: I don't even know.
1: Uh. My fuck that guy is Bill Barr, the king of fuckery who just walked into... Mitch McConnell's office and who is going to do something beyond the fucking pale. We'll know next episode what it is he does. But he is my fuck that guy because we know wherever criminality goes, Bill Barr is there. And he is my fuck that guy for his work criming on behalf of the the crime
2: enterprise. That is the crime. Yes. My fuck that guy today is on a day that should be a day of of, frankly, joy and celebration in this country, not only because Donald Trump has lost the election and will forever be a one-term loser president who was impeached and humiliated, but it is his vice president today who receives the coveted fuck that guy, Michael Penis.
1: Yes, Michael Penis, as he's known.
2: As Borat says, because he came out and immediately claimed credit for the Pfizer vaccine.
1: Yes.
2: The Pfizer vaccine that was created not in Operation Warp Speed, the Pfizer vaccine was not developed under Operation Warp Speed.
1: Though they did benefit in some ways from it. But yes, it's Well,
2: true. look, they later signed a separate deal if the vaccine right. worked. But it was not Mike Pence's doing. It was not Donald Trump's doing.
1: And it was certainly not Ivanka's doing.
2: No, it was a bunch of incredibly dedicated researchers and scientists who buckled down and put the pedal to the metal to develop a successful vaccine. But it's so on brand for these scales to try to claim credit for it. Donald Trump is going to try to brand it and call it the Trump vaccine. I promise you. <laughs> um, and and Pence doing that was so on brand. You know, don't, don't make any mistake that Mike Pence isn't completely a part of this scuzzy underworld of Trumpism. On that note, we'll wrap up this episode of The New Abnormal from the Daily Beast. In future episodes, we'll be talking with smart folks from the Daily Beast and beyond from media, culture, politics, and science who will help us understand what's happening to our country